0: Publishing in peer-reviewed journals is one of the essential pillars of the life of all investigators. The American Journal for Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology, known in the field as the Red Journal, publishes significant and original research related to large aspects of lung biology. We are very lucky today to have Dr. Paul Schumacher. He is the brand new editor of the Red Journal. Paul is a Patrick McGon Professor of Neonatology Research in the Department of Pediatrics, and professor of Cell and Molecular Biology and of Medicine at Northwestern University School of Medicine in Chicago. I am Blanca Camaretti Mercado, assistant professor in the Division of Allergy and Immunology in the Department of Internal Medicine at the University of South Florida. And I am the chair of the Assembly on Respiratory Structure and Function at ATS. I am thrilled to talk to Paul today and to hear about his plans for the journal and also his thoughts about health and biological science in general. I know Paul for many, many years when we both were faculty members at the University of Chicago. Paul has made remarkable contributions to the field of hypoxia, defining signaling pathways, and transcription and post transcription and events. He pioneered the studies on the molecular mechanisms and underlying cell oxygen sensing, the role of mitochondria, and the effects of oxygen on cell metabolism in both health and disease. Welcome, Paul.
1: Well, uh, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Blanca. It's great to talk to you again, and I'm looking forward to, uh, we started on October 1st, and I'm looking forward to a a fun, exciting, and productive time during the next five years as uh, head of the Red Journal.
0: You have an incredible bio, and I thank you very much then for joining this conversation with a new editor of the Red Journal. So, the first question I have for you is: What inspired you to become a scientist?
1: Oh, wow! That's a great—that's a great question. Let me let me think back. I, so, when I was very young, I was always very curious about about how things worked, and and I was as a from the youngest age I can remember, I was I was always trying to figure out how things worked, and I w- would take things apart and try to fix broken things. And so, you know, my early inclination, which landed through college and 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 uh, and graduate school, was that I wanted to become an engineer. And so, that's where I started my education, but but later uh, turned to biology because biology presents. Even greater challenges than, you know, uh, mechanical or, or electrical things. Uh, where in biology we're breaking new ground and and trying to discover new insight into how biological processes work. And and the broader context is that the discoveries that we make in biology are have implications for human health. And so that makes it especially especially interesting and important. So, so I, I originally started out as an engineer, but then evolved into a scientist, and, and, uh, and I've enjoyed it very much.
0: Oh, that's a great transition. I, actually, it's not uncommon for many people to start more like a, in the heart science and then move to the biological science. In my own experience, you know, I wanted to be a mathematician, actually. And for one of those, you know, things in life, i was you know i am from Argentina, and at that particular year, the admission to the school of um you know exact sciences was closed for the first semester so in order for me not to lose that you know four months of schooling, I decided to go to um biochemistry and pharmacy the school of biochemistry and pharmacy and i I love it and then I never switched back to um to ma- to mathematics so that was my path basically
1: yeah. Well, the uh, mathematics is a wonderful background for a, a lot of, of um, scientific endeavors, and, and I started out as an engineer, and engineering was good because it taught me how to think analytically, and it's been a good background, but biology presents special challenges and has special rewards, so, uh, so like you, I've enjoyed the transition very much.
0: You know, we are living an exciting time in, in science and in medicine and in bio, biotechnology, in particular, what do you think the biggest question in biology or in the pulmonary field are today? And wow. how can maybe ATS investigators contribute to answer those questions?
1: Yeah, another excellent question. So, well, uh, there are many important questions in biology, but some of the big ones that we're grappling with today are related, for example, to aging. We all age, but the biological basis of aging and the determinants of lifespan aren't fully understood. We've made some good progress in that, but there's a lot to understand yet. We know that some individuals, for example, age more quickly than others, and emerging new information is beginning to shed some light on the genetics and the epigenetics and other factors, like inflammation, for example, that affect that process of aging. I, th- I think that in the context of the lung and the respiratory system, that that lung and respiratory biologists can make important contributions to our understanding of how and why aging affects lung structure and function. So, for example, you know the development of emphysema, which is a is a, a marker of aging, a loss of elastic recoil. So, lung biologists have an opportunity to advance our understanding of the underlying mechanisms that can lead to, I think, innovative insights into how to slow the aging process in the context of the lung and potentially how to trigger regeneration to repair lung injury and the effects of accelerated aging. So that's, that's one example. There are other examples of, uh, of important areas that we don't fully understand. Another would be sleep biology. We still don't understand why Virtually all species uh, undergo a a sleeping phase, uh, uh, but the understanding of circadian rhythms and how those affect biological processes and and why sleep is essential and and the consequences of sleep deprivation we understand something about, but but the underlying cause of sleep is one of those big scientific mysteries that, uh, that relates to lung biology in the sense that disordered control of ventilation during sleep is an important cause of, 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 uh, of, of cardiovascular uh, disease and, and other consequences of sleep disordered breathing. So, so I think uh, neurobiologists and sleep biologists looking at that field from a context of lung and respiratory biology have, have great opportunities <clears throat> to have a big impact on, on human health through their studies that, that will investigate And understand the mechanisms responsible for normal sleep and the effects of sleep, and how disordered sleep affects affects uh, uh, ventilation and breathing.
0: I I cannot agree any any more with those two choices that you just um, discussed briefly with us. Um, I heard, I think, you know, a couple of days ago about the role of the circadian rhythm in the effect of drugs. That was fascinating for me. There was this study done. Uh, I don't remember very well the details. I listened to it on the radio. There was a, this study of a, a given drug um, that were given to mice either even in the morning or in the evening. I don't remember which one was the, you know, the result, but basically there was a completely different uh, result whether the drug was given during the early morning or, were, or when it was given in the early afternoon. And that, to me, is, is fascinating, that um, even the response to, to drug, to treatment, could also be, uh, you know, modified by what time during the day. Basically, the ketone prism have, uh, you know, influence on all these um, activities that the cells and the body uh, go through. Indeed, um,
1: indeed the the how circadian rhythm works its way m- both metabolically and genetically into the way organisms function from single cells that maintain a circadian rhythm to intact tissues to the entire organism and how circadian rhythms influence the responsiveness to the environment responsiveness to Drugs, as you point out, is a fascinating area, and we're making good strides with that, but we still have a long way to go.
0: That's fantastic, because especially, you know, this reporter was saying that, apparently, in in mice, there is not such a conflict. But in humans, apparently, the clock in the brain is the opposite, Uh, you know, is wired in the opposite, you know, timing-wise, to the rest of the periphery of the self, Change a little ge- gears here. Um, the methods we are using to communicate are constantly evolving, and particularly we are witnessing this evolution in the last few years. So in this era of social media, how important is for scientists, for ATS, for the journal, to engage with social media? What oh, do we yeah. have to gain and what do we lose if anything, that we could lose in this engagement with social media.
1: Uh, yes, well, this is a, certainly a timely topic, and the landscape of scientific publication has, has changed, uh, is constantly changing as, as we move forward. Uh, and social media is, I would say, another example of how, how scientific publications and that, and that process continues to evolve I would say that social media certainly is a powerful tool for organizations and for individuals to connect with the world. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for the ATS and its journals, including the Red Journal, to think about the broader goals, like you know, what does social media mean for scientists, and and how can scientists take advantage of or utilize the characteristics of social media uh, to its benefit. Uh, I, I think it's also clear that social media provides new opportunities to increase awareness of journal content and to extend the journal information into new areas that could benefit both the readers and the public at large. But how we do this I think is critical in terms of how we want to present ourselves as scientists the rest of the world the decisions about how we position ourselves both as a journal and as a society I think need to be made strategically so speaking for the for the red journal as a scientific journal we transmit detailed scientific information within a specific context that we define but a characteristic of the social media is, is that social media can present information completely out of context. And we've all seen examples of how this can distort perception in this so-called post-truth era. So, so, so we're looking at this very carefully, and we're going to be providing updates as our analysis of how best to use social media moves toward, uh, toward implementation. So stay tuned, and we'll, we'll, uh, we're, this is a process that's under, under review. And we'll have uh, more to report as we move forward.
0: Yes, I, I appreciate because, you know, social media can have their own life by its own. And then it, it, it keep adding to the mountain of information that we, what you mentioned about the context, is, is so important. So it's so crucial to, to, to really take advantage, a real advantage of, of what the social media have to offer.
1: Right. Well, I think it has it has uh, some things to offer that are potentially very important for us, but it may come as a, uh, with a cost. And I think it's important for us as a society, the ATS, and as a journal, to think about those those characteristics and see how best to use the positive points for the for the causes that we want to advance and to not get ourselves involved in something that, that really isn't or may not help.
0: Now, m- m- going a little more focused on your role as, um, as the new editor, considering the large number of old, established, and new journals that we can choose to publish our work, and in the light of the, you know, weak environment of the federal funding that we are having for several years by now, what are the challenges that the journal faces today? And you know, related to that, what is the major accomplishment that you would like to achieve for the journal?
1: Well, um, another good question, uh, Blanca. The uh, as we said before, scientific publication is a uh, changing landscape, and the ATS journals, including the Red Journal, need to plan strategically as this playing field changes. We've just talked about social media, and that can change the way the journal presents itself to the world, but another example of this adaptation is that several years ago, the Red Journal went from a print to a fully online publication process, and this was the result of a careful analysis of both the benefits and the limitations of that decision. So, in an era where we see an explosion of new journals being created, I I think it's important for the Red Journal to embrace its relevance to ATS members who are interested in lung and respiratory biology, critical care, and sleep research. Uh, one of the ways we're hoping to achieve this is by seeking to provide a home for lung and respiratory research that I define very broadly. Uh, and we hope to attract new investigators who are still in training or who've recently finished their training you know, in, that, in that process as we move forward. So uh, a major goal that I see for the Red Journal is to strive to become a premier forum for the publication of, of the best new science that's relevant to the mission of the ATS. Um, in, in that regard, I think it's important for the journal to be relevant to many of the ATS assemblies. Now. The Red journal has had a wonderful and long-standing, very close relationship with the Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology Assembly (RCMB), and this isn't going to change. Uh, Where the title of the journal is very closely aligned with the interests of that assembly, but I think an ATS journal needs to foster similar relationships with other assemblies and sections. For example, I mean allergy and immunology and inflammation, uh, the critical care assembly. Uh, pediatrics, the pulmonary circulation assembly, sleep and respiratory neurobiology, thoracic oncology, and of course RSF, uh, um, among others. So these, these assemblies and sections like genetics and genomics should all see the Red Journal as a home for their best work that relates to cellular and molecular mechanisms that contribute to acute and chronic lung disease uh, and processes that are, are of interest to ATS members. So so to answer your question, really, we're, we're spreading the word that the Red Journal is trying to broaden its appeal to a wide range of scientific, scientific interests that, that go across many assemblies. Now, there are some assemblies that are, that are very clinically related that, that probably aren't of special interest to the Red Journal. but. Uh, but there are other assemblies that that we need to embrace, and I want to, as a goal, uh, to to bring investigators in these relevant assemblies—allergy and immunology and inflammation, critical care, etc.—to think of the Red Journal as a home. And, and perhaps they have been uh, not thinking of the Red Journal in that context in the past. Uh, it's my hope that we can that we can. Uh, uh, achieve this uh, and so I'm, I'm optimistic that we can we can uh, help to spread the word that the red journal is trying to broaden its appeal to a ri- wide range of, of scientific scientific interests ac- across these assemblies and and moreover I'm also optimistic that we can foster the careers of new as well as established investigators by by helping to stimulate scientific connections if you know what I mean uh, between investigators who begin to discover that uh, their work in, for example, a mechanism underlying critical illness and response to sepsis might be aided by investigators who are studying lung allergy or inflammation or regeneration of alveolar epithelial cells or by investigators studying epigenetics and lung cells. So, so I think as a journal, we can help to connect lung and respiratory investigators working in these seemingly diverse fields, but all of them in the context of the lung and the respiratory system and the diseases that affect uh, that, that, um, that organ and, and organ system. So, so I think uh, we're, we want to be a home for uh, similar disease processes uh, and, and to attract investigators who might not have previously thought that they had a home in the same place? So.
0: Yes, I think you have um, perfectly explained. Actually, that was part of my second question, because I think what you described is is basically a win-win situation. And I think that uh, many people will uh, welcome that approach from the journal to be, you know, more inclusive and to broad their scope. And personally, you know, I think um, as a chair of my assembly or respiratory structure and function, I think that um, there is a, a lot of opportunities for our members in the assembly to get their work published in, in the journal. So then uh, along that same vein, then as molecular and cell biology tools be- become more common in all areas of biological research, and also considering that other journals are welcoming manuscripts with molecular and cell biology aspects, and therefore, you know, they're becoming like a you know, competitors with a journal, what you will see then will be the benefit and perhaps the uniqueness that the Red Journal could offer to potential uh, investigators. And also, I, I like a lot your idea of scientific connection among, you know, investigators from different, you know, expertise.
1: Right, well, yes. Well, as I said earlier, I think the Red Journal can help to connect investigators and observations and mechanisms in the context of the lung and respiratory system, using approaches of respiratory and cell and molecular biology, you're you're absolutely right. There's been an explosion of new journals, and many of them focus on on cell and molecular biology because that's where a lot of progress is being made. And so, what does the what does the red journal bring to that that the other journals don't? And I I think it is an interest in a common interest in a group of disorders, diseases, if you like, that affect the lung and the respiratory system, and, and that by bringing together investigators who were interested in emphysema and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and asthma, in lung cancer, in pulmonary hypertension, in uh, acute respiratory failure, uh, and, and other disorders that, are, that, are, that uniquely affect the lung and its cells, the and neurobiology that's related to control of ventilation and muscle biology that's related to the muscles of respiration, that a common interest in those diseases is what the red journal has to offer and that investigators who are interested in those diseases from different standpoints, not necessarily talking to one another before, can, by paying attention to what's in the Red Journal, be better informed about how the important findings the mechanisms that others report can then positively influence their thinking about that field and how they approach how they approach that disease process from their own perspective. So I hope that makes sense.
0: Yes, yes, I, and, and I think it's completely doable. I think it's it's a, it's a great approach as I said before. Pragmatic So we're all familiar with the phrase, you know, publish or perish. Because of the large number of manuscripts submitted and the limited space available, the red journal has to be selective in what it can accept for publication. So what are some tips that you can give to potential authors to have their papers accepted in the journal? And what are the most common pitfalls that you see that prevent a paper to be accepted?
1: Well... So that's a great question for an editor, and, and so I have a, a few suggestions. And the, as, as we all know, great papers need to tell a story, a scientific story, that's supported by data. And, and we all know that the most interesting stories are the ones that are novel, where we learn something new, and, and that are supported strongly by The experimental evidence and and so scientific stories we all know are are fun to read when they have a compelling rationale when at the end of the introduction you can't wait to see how the data turns out and and when they apply employ appropriate tools sometimes novel tools that give us a fresh look on perhaps an old question and and certainly when they have a satisfying ending they're like a great restaurant meal that has a wonderful appetizer, a, a great entree, and then a great finish at, at the end. So, so certainly mechanistic information in a paper is desirable and important because it provides the insight that allows others to generate new hypotheses and, and to test whether the mechanism that's being reported in this paper might potentially explain behavior in a different context uh, and so you know does this apply even though it was done in alveolar epithelial cells is it possible that this also applies to bronchial or upper airway epithelial cells or 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 other cells entirely so so mechanistic information is is uh, is great and always attractive in uh, a newly submitted paper so so, the, uh, so, if you can tie in a mechanism, that's that's uh, that's great. People sometimes overlook this, but a great title for your paper is important because it'll help others notice your paper and draw them in. We've all done PubMed searches looking for papers relevant to an area, and you read the title of the paper, and you know, when the title of the paper just grabs you, it you know it it pulls you into the story.
0: Some premier journals are rethinking the role and how to calculate the impact factor. And if, I think this, is, if this question is very appropriate just following what we just discussed or what makes you know, a good paper to be published and in, the, in a good journal. So do you have any opinion about that, about the impact factor?
1: Uh, that's a great question, Blanca, and, and it's one we've spent a lot of time thinking about. I, I think the impact factor as it exists now is an important metric that we have to pay attention to because authors look at that metric when they're deciding where to send their papers. And so we need to protect and if we can enhance the impact factor of the journal because that's important for the future success of the journal. And, and authors are paying attention to that and, and we can't publish the best work if people don't send it to us. So we need to be an attractive site for many reasons for for authors to send their best work to us, and the impact factor is one. But as we all know, metrics have both positive and negative aspects to them. If you put all of your evaluation into a single metric, you're going to mislead and be misled by what that metric tells you. And and one example of that is We see sometimes in academia where promotions committees will look at the impact factor of journals where an author presents, uh, publishes their work, and and use that as a major factor in deciding whether they should be promoted or not, and I think that's a terrible, terrible mistake. Uh, Rather, we should look at many metrics, because what one metric overlooks, another metric will encompass, and so I think we need to Think about other metrics that are that are appropriate measures of the value of a journal. So, to make an extreme case, you know, if you started up a journal and you published one paper per year, and and you got 20 citations on that paper, you know, per year on average, that that you would you get an impact factor of 20, but the relevance of the journal would be nil because you're only publishing one paper a year. And so using the impact factor to judge the importance of the journal loses sight of the fact that ultimately the total number of citations that the journal is 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 getting per year is you know, another metric. And I should say that, that there's analysis going on uh, uh, spearheaded in large part by Rolf Hoodmeyer, who's the chair of the Publications Policy Committee, to look at at other ways of examining the importance and the relevance of a journal, the ATS journals, relative to our nearest competitors and see how we're doing and whether the information from multiple metrics that take a look at the value of the journal from, from several different perspectives can add to our insight into understanding what we may or may not want to do in terms of leadership of the journals to be able to best serve our readers, uh, the ATS, and and the authors of the articles that we publish. So, I would just sort of summarize it by saying, I think it's important to look at many metrics, and the ATS and the Publications Policy Committee is actively looking at these. Not not to not to uh, change the fact that the that the impact factor today is what it is, but I think it's an evolving playing field, as we've said, and the metrics that are used to evaluate the quality and and usefulness of journals uh, is, is evolving, and looking at new metrics and trying to understand uh, how some new metrics can further refine our understanding of the value of the journal is an important process that's underway.
0: And the fact that uh, many review committees on promotions rely heavily on the impact factor of the journal where the candidate is in publishing. And so um, this had, can have really very uh, important um, consequence in the um, career of some uh, investigators because some institutions rely so heavily on that. Okay. So it, it, with that in mind, um, I imagine that one of the biggest and most important tasks as new editor is to form your editorial team. So tell us what about the opportunities and ways in which junior or more seasoned investigators could get involved with the editorial aspect of the journal, because that is something, you know, hopefully that will help them in that uh, promotion uh, path.
1: Well, I think that's a very important role that the journal can play, and my predecessor, uh, Ken Adler, has, was uh, quite active looking and looking at ways to explore how we can enhance the career development of young, newly emerging, newly trained investigators in lung and respiratory biology and, and we're continuing that and looking for, for additional ways to do this. The Red Alert section is a page in the journal that if you, uh, thumb through the, if you look through the table of contents for the journal on the website you can see that the Red Alert has every month between two and four highlighted papers. We have a short blurb, 200 words per article, that that will highlight the importance of the findings and the relevance of some uh, new paper that's published in that issue. Uh, and, and some of those are highlighted for junior investigators, defined as a postdoctoral fellow or a new assistant professor and and so we try to highlight the publications of newly emerging investigators as well as some especially noteworthy reports by senior investigators. So so check out the red the red alert section of the journal and and that helps to highlight and and sort of notify people of the important new things that both junior and more more well-seasoned investigators are are reporting in the journal. We'll be looking for other ways to do this. We've begun to reorganize the editorial board of the journal, and while it's important to have a wide range of scientific expertise in the editorial board, that's a really important characteristic, but we'd also like to be able to recognize and incorporate uh, newly emerging, uh, outstanding young uh, investigators who are able to provide reviews for you know, topics that they are experts in. So we're looking to expand the editorial board with uh, addition of, of new experts in emerging areas, as well as to incorporate particularly outstanding uh, newer investigators who are, uh, who are willing to contribute to the service of the journal but can provide important expertise in their uh, in their own areas, so so I think it's an important role for the journal to try to highlight and enhance the careers, and that in turn will make those or perhaps make those investigators as they progress with their careers more inclined to return to the journal for publication of their of their their best work. It's if if they see it as a home for their journal where they uh, started their careers, maybe they'll come back to it. So it's. It'll be good for the journal, and it's certainly good for the investigators, and and um, and it's and it's fun to watch how people who have been trained uh, progress with their careers, and and so we're exploring other ways that we can help to uh, help to enhance uh, career development both for uh, newer investigators and for and for established uh, uh, scientists.
0: As a um, very young uh, junior investigator many years ago, one of my the the most rewarding experience I have was uh, when, um, you know, Julian Solway, our colleague at the University of Chicago, he got um, an invitation to write this editorial for uh, a paper. I don't remember which journal was. I think it was Circulation Research, um, you know, about, you know, the cell response factor, which, you know, the transcription factor that we discovered was very important for gene expression in smooth muscle. And, you know, Julian was so generous, basically, he handed to me that invitation. And and, I, and I, as I mentioned, it was one of my most rewarding experience because uh, it made me, you know, really think out of the box, put, you know, this paper in the whole context of, um, of um, you know, gene expression at that time in muscle. And it's the one that in many people um, came to me and uh, recognize, you know, uh, that um, editorial uh, work as my, um, as my baby, as I say. And, um, and I think it was, it, it was a, a, a catapult, it was a springboard for me to get a recognized amount of peers, not only in the respiratory field, but also in the cardiac field, because as I mentioned to you, this, it was in circulation research that this editorial I came. And all, all because, you know, Julian was generous enough to um, coming to me to handle this invitation to me, and of course we both together, with you know I was first author, I was senior author, but I thought it was was a, a, a fantastic experience as a young investigator uh, for me.
1: Blanca, that's such a wonderful story, and it's one that I I think we want to see repeated many times in the future. One of the new things that we brought to the Red Journal is we're going to be publishing a lot of editorials for the papers that are that are published every month. I think this is a great service for exactly the reason that you stated, and that is a well-written editorial puts the paper in a context that's broader than the specific experiments. And, and having a an expert in the field write a 1,200-word editorial, you know, <laughs> we've all seen examples where the editorials are actually read perhaps more than the papers are because they... Yes. They digest the data in a way that is understandable, and they present it in a way that puts it into the perspective of other work that has gone on in the, in the field before and can also identify new challenges that, that the authors don't think have, have, uh, have been addressed by the current study or other studies in the field. One of the ways that we're doing this to go back to uh, developing the careers of junior Investigators is is exactly the, the model that you your experience uh, describes, and that is uh, by asking a senior person who may or may not have been a reviewer of the manuscript to write an editorial. We're also asking them to consider inviting a junior colleague to co-author the editorial with them. That's such a wonderful experience when you know, a, a new assistant professor who's never written an editorial before gets to sit down, perhaps look at the, you know, look at the process of the review of the paper and to step back and see the paper in the context of the broader context of that field and other discoveries that have been made and perhaps contradictory evidence. And then to synthesize with the, in collaboration with a senior investigator, the, the editorial is, is a wonderful experience. It's a, a great opportunity to learn and it's also wonderful for the junior investigator because they 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 get the notoriety of having written an editorial and and they so it's a it's a wonderful experience for, for them and it's a and it's a it's a, a wonderful contribution to the to what the journal can do for the field because it because it as I say the editorials are often um, read as much or even more than the original articles are so so it's a win win situation uh, so we're pushing forward with that uh, very very actively
0: that that would be great because I love editorial as you say it's one of the first things that I read in, in in the journal so um it has been a fantastic conversation I think we have been talking for for a while already so is there anything else you would like to add?
1: Only that uh, that it's it's a wonderful honor and a privilege for me to be leading the journal. I think it has a distinguished past, but but some challenges in front of it that we're embracing and and will be fun to to, to work with. I invite members of the ATS and and beyond with ideas about how the journal should be, the things the journal should, should embrace and the things that the journal should not do, to feel free to send me an email and comment on that. I'd like to incorporate the the sort of interests of uh, multiple assemblies, and so at the next ATS meeting, we'll be we'll be visiting many of the assembly meetings and and sort of throwing up a a, a um, you know a, a, a flare to try to attract interest in submissions to the Red Journal, and, and we're going to do the best that we can to advance what the journal does for its readers, for science, and for the society. And, and we're hoping to incorporate uh, the best suggestions that, that we hear along with our own. And, and then to periodically look back at that. We'll try some experiments, see if they work. We're scientists, so we'll uh, put some metrics to them, see if they're working. And if they're working, we'll continue with them. And if they're not, then we'll try a different approach and see how that goes. So. It's an exciting journey, and I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the ride so far very much.
0: So I, re- I really think that the journal is in the very good hands. So thank you very much, Paul, for taking the time to participate in this podcast today. Uh, you have Thanks. given us an excellent overview of what is in your mind as new editor, and you have summarized for us the activities that do the journal. And thank you for those tips to be more successful as author and more effective, you know, writers and communicators, too. I look forward for a great tenure as editor of the Road Journal. Um, it has been a pleasure. Uh, special thanks also to the ATS staff who facilitate the production of this podcast. And to all of those out there, thank you for listening, and please stay tuned for other interesting podcasts from the RSF Assembly of ATS.